Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Welcome to those of you joining us online or at one of our physical campuses. Let me try something different. It's going to be weird in the room because there's going to be no clapping for a little bit. But where's my Apex campus at? Can you clap a little bit? All right. Where's my Morrisville campus at? Garner, where you guys at? Okay. And last but not least, where's my Raleigh campus at? All right. (laughs) Well, it is good to see you. We are wrapping up our series called Characters, Finding Your Place in the Story, which has been all about serving. And you guys are like, finally, it's been four weeks. You've been asking me to serve. When are you going to stop? If you guys aren't serving after four weeks, I do not know what to tell you. But uh, we are starting a brand new sermon series next week that we are calling Counter Culture. And I'm super excited about it. What do you do when you find yourself in a culture that used to be godly, but now it's godless? It used to be Christian, but now it's post-Christian. It used to be welcoming, but now it seems a little hostile. Well, God has given us a handbook, a playbook of sorts in the book of 1 Peter. And I can't wait to jump into this sermon series. It's going to be super timely, a little controversial, uh, but you're going to want to be here. You're going to want to bring a friend as well. Uh, but we are wrapping up our series. And I'm also so appreciative to my friend Aaron Nelson for stepping in last week and teaching. You guys enjoy him? Yes. Me as well. He's going to take my job, isn't he? He might. Okay. Well, I think uh, we've learned some really important truths the past few weeks. The first week we learned that we are not the main character in a story all about us. In fact, we learned that we are minor characters in a story all about Jesus for everything, including you and me. We're created through him and by him and for him. And then we learned that our role as minor characters in a story all about him is really to glorify Jesus by serving others the same way that he served us. And last week, we talked through some of the insecurities that kind of come to the surface when we even think about stepping out to serve. What if I'm not well-spoken? What if I'm not as talented as I thought? What if I don't have what it takes for God to use me? And we're staring at a mirror when God really wants us to start looking through a mirror, uh, through, a, through a window. And we need to turn that what if of fear into a what if of faith. What if God really does want to use me? What if he wants to use me as a conduit for his love to reach more and more people? And we learn that we really should be mobilized by faith instead of paralyzed by fear. Well, this week, uh, we're going to see all of that come together. And we're going to see an amazing example of what God does when a group of people embrace their role as minor characters, as servants, and they begin to live out that role. And we're going to see the amazing thing that God can do. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, Acts. If you've never read through the book of Acts, you really should. It's an amazing book. Uh, It's part two of two books that this doctor named Luke wrote. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is all about the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And then he wrote the book of Acts, which is all about 
the beginning of the, the early church. And so in his first book, he talks about the movement that Jesus started. And then in the second book, he talks about that movement picking up steam and really going on to change the entire known world at that time. So where we're jumping in in Acts chapter six, it's already grown into a huge movement. Um, when it started, there were about 120 Christ followers in an upper room in Acts chapter one, uh, kind of praying. Then the spirit falls during a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. Uh, Peter preaches a sermon and uh, 3,000 people were added to the church that very day. It grows to about 8,000 members by chapter four. And by chapter six, where we're jumping in, the church is about 10,000 people strong. Uh, so uh, this is in one city as well, Jerusalem, which only has a population of about 40,000. So the church is about the quarter of the population of Jerusalem. And uh, not only is it growing, but it's super healthy. Uh, Luke gives us these little health snapshots of the church all throughout the book of Acts. And the closest one to chapter six is in chapter four, where he says this. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need." And what we see in these little snapshots that Luke gives us is that every single time the church is healthy, there's two things that the church is doing. You see the apostles boldly declaring the word of God, and then you see all the other members of the church obeying the word of God. You always see the apostles concentrating on proclaiming the gospel, and then you see the church members demonstrating the gospel. The church is growing because not only do people get to hear the good news, but they get to experience it as well. They don't just get to hear about how much Jesus loves them, but they get to experience that love in the midst of this family, this movement that we call the church. And these are the two ministries of the healthy church that we see in the book of Acts, proclamation and demonstration, or word and deed. These are like the twin engines of the church plane, of the gospel plane. And what we see in the book of Acts is that when one of these engines starts to lag behind, when one of these engines start to fail, the church begins to get dragged off course, begins to get dragged away from its mission, and it can easily head into a nosedive. And so what we're going to see today is a situation where both of those engines, proclamation and demonstration, are threatened. Both of these ministries are threatened to go off track. Now, see, the church is growing like crazy. And just like in every growing church throughout all of history, more growth equals more problems. If you're on a church staff, you can say amen, right? They're, they're about to experience some pretty big growing pains that are common to all churches throughout history. So let's jump in to Acts chapter six, verse one, where it says this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, they're growing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, and it's the distribution of food. So apparently what's happening is they have like a food pantry of sorts, like we have here at Raleigh, and the whole church would get together, and they would give of their own resources, give of food, and if someone had need, they would get food distributed to them on a daily basis. And what we see right off the bat is that the demonstration part of the church is lagging. It's lagging behind. This little group of Hellenist widows 
aren't experiencing the gospel lived out. Now, this is a really big problem. In fact, this is the biggest problem the church has encountered up until this point. And that's a big statement because they've encountered some serious problems. Uh, they've, they've overcome the hurdle of political persecution. Um, the, the chief priests and the Sadducees have consistently jailed the apostles, beaten them, and commanded them, hey, you need to stop preaching about Jesus. And the apostles said, nah, we're good. And so they kept preaching and uh, the church kept growing. They got more beatings, but that's all right. Um, then in the chapter before that, they experienced kind of a financial scandal. Uh, two members of the church were playing a little fast and loose with some of the finances. And uh, Ananias and Sapphira, if you know the story, God took care of that problem. He killed them. So that problem was solved. Now, uh, the church, but now the church is facing an even bigger problem. It's the problem of internal complaining and disunity. And this isn't just any run-of-the-mill complaint. This complaint has racial undertones. You see, Hellenist, that term, it means Greek and Roman, people who have become Christ followers. Then there's Hebrew Christians, which just means Jewish people that have become Christ followers. And Hellenists were the minority culture in the church at that time because Christianity started out with the Jews. And so what we have here is the widows and the minority culture were being overlooked during the food distribution. Now, widows back in that time, uh, if their husband died, they were completely dependent on the kindness of other people. They couldn't have jobs. They couldn't own land. They could barely make ends meet. And so this is a serious issue for them. But the widows and the group of people associated with them, they handle this situation completely wrong. So if you are a Hope Mission partner, if you're a member, lean in for a second. Uh, first, these folks assume intentions. They assign a reason for why they think they're being looked over. They say, hey, I'm not getting enough food and it must be because the leaders are racist, because I'm a Greek or because I'm a Roman, because they don't like my type of people. And that is a huge accusation because the church is built on the truth that in Jesus, there is no such thing as slave or free or Jew or Gentile or male or female, that every single being, human being is equal in dignity and worth in Jesus Christ. In fact, the church is the first truly multi-ethnic organization that's ever existed. And so to call it racist is really to undermine one of the major things that it stands for. So it's a huge accusation. Secondly, they don't take the complaint to the leaders. <laughs> they don't text the leaders. They don't take them out for coffee. It says that a complaint just arose. There was, there was mumbling, there was groaning, there was, there was complaining, there was gossip that just bubbled to the surface. They just started talking to one another saying, you know, I don't think those leaders like us. I got one less ramen than that other person did, right? They play favorites. Bible study's going great, but my mom's going hungry and it's because they don't like the Greek and the Roman Christians. So they sow distrust in the church. And listen, nothing will take a church down quite like distrust and gossip and complaining. I've seen a handful of churches fall apart. And rarely is it because of finances. Rarely is it because of theological issues. In most of the cases, it's because factions develop inside that just tear that church apart from the inside out. And there's nothing the enemy loves more than using the members of a church to sow complaining and to sow disunity and distrust in the midst of that church to just eat it from the inside out. So the church leaders know that this is a huge deal. This could be their undoing. This could radically redirect them off mission. 
that these apostles, they're not CEOs. They're not organizational thought leaders. What are they? They're fishermen. But look at how the apostles handle it. First, they don't get defensive. They don't say, hey, we're not racist. My best friend's a Greek. I got a brother-in-law that's Roman, right? They don't do that. They also don't put down their Bibles and stop preaching in order to put on a hairnet and continue to serve tables. Instead, they just follow the Spirit and they're led to this amazing solution. Look at what happens. It says in the 12 apostles summoned the full number of the disciples, the whole church, and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, let me explain. The apostles are not saying that serving tables is beneath them. This is the very first table serving committee they've ever put together, which tells you who's been serving the tables before this. Yeah, the apostles have been. It's just that they are realizing that as the needs grow, the time spent needing those needs will pull them away from the task of prayer and studying the Bible and proclaiming that Bible as well. See, the apostles, they saw themselves as servants, but because of their gifting and their calling, I mean, they spent three years with the Jesus. They heard every single word that came out of his mouth during that ministry. And so the best way that they can serve the church is through teaching God's word. So they call the whole church together and they get on stage and they explain, hey, here's the area of greatest need. Here's a really huge demand that we're experiencing as a growing church. What we need you to do, church, is to go out and find some godly people. Find some spirit-filled people that are willing to help us meet this need and then bring them to us. We'll train them and we'll send them out. And that'll free us up to get back to what we're called to do. Now, does that sound familiar? Sound kind of like the Serve Connect that we do every year? Yeah. So that's what they did. They found really, really qualified people and they gave them what would seem to us kind of an unimportant task, carrying box lunches to widows. Verse five, it says this, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Stephen's gonna be a main character in the coming chapters. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumba, no, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, and these they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Now, what's interesting, I love this. What's interesting is that most of the names that I just listed are Greek or Roman in origin. And so they saw this problem of this, this minority culture group of widows being overlooked. So they picked servant leaders from that same minority group and they put them into leadership, not just so that they could meet the need, but also so that they could um, help the whole church grow and really avoid racial blind spots in the future. It's, it's beautiful. So that's what Stephen and his team did. Now, what do you think was the result of that first ever Serve Connect? I mean, what would you expect that next verse to read? Something like the widows were fed and the church avoided disaster, maybe? The volunteer spots were filled and church continued, right? They got enough dang kid city volunteers and they finally stopped asking the congregation. No, no, no. The result was much more powerful than that. Look at what happens in verse seven. It says this, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests 
became obedient to the faith. You see, through this little surf connect, the apostles figured out how to keep proclaiming and how to keep demonstrating. And because a few servant-minded people stepped up and handled the area of greatest need, the biggest demand that they had in that moment, the word of God, Luke says, spread like crazy. The number of disciples increased greatly. He even says a, a great number of the priests, their number one enemy, the ones that were jailing them and were beating them, like the majority of the hostile city council came to Christ. And what Luke wants us to see is that these two events, this first ever serve connect and the expansion of God's kingdom, they're connected. It's because of what the apostles and Stephen's little team of table servers did that the word of God spread greatly. And so my question is why? What was it about this first ever little serve connect that caused such a big impact in the kingdom of God? What mindset? did these church members have and embody that allowed it to overcome these growing pains and continue to make a huge impact in the city? Well, I see a few things. First, one thing that's really, really obvious to me is they had this mentality of every member is a participant. Every single member is a participant. If you go back to Acts 4, where it says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Like Luke, as it pains to show us the full number, every single person in this church, they were of the same heart, the same soul, the same mind, and no one said that their time or their resources or their money or their spiritual gifts were their own. Instead, every single person uh, was actively giving. They were actively serving. They were actively loving. They were actively demonstrating this gospel and living it out. There were no players left on the bench. They were all on the field. And Luke tells us this a few times, that this is one of the marks of a healthy church. It's only in the past 50 or 60 years that people got this weird idea that church was something you just kind of showed up to and left. Only in the past 50 or 60 years do people see church as an event that you attend as opposed to a family or a movement that you participate in. And we see this idea picked up all throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians 5, Paul says that God gives to each individual local church pastors and ministers not to do the work of ministry, but to train every single, minister, every single member to do ministry. And when we do that, when everyone's off the bench and they're all participating, Paul says, when each part is working properly, this makes the body, the church, grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, the church is like a body. And each member, each person in that church is a part of that body. And just like your physical body, every single part is important. Every single part matters. If you woke up tomorrow and your heart said, ah, I'm gonna take two hours off, what would the results be? Not good. If you woke up next week and your brain said, ah, I'm gonna sit the next one or two years out, like what are the results of that? You parents of teenagers, you kind of know, right? It's not good. It's not good. See, God has created every single one of you watching online at one of our campuses in the room right now with certain and unique giftings and skills and passions and desires and dreams. And he has brought you at this season specifically to Hope Community Church, not to get, 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 get. Oh, that's part of it, but to give, to give. He's brought you as a gift, an essential and indispensable part so that right now in the history of our church, we can reach our full mission potential. You see, when one person sits out, everyone misses out. 
When one person sits out, everyone misses out. And this is what this church understood. Every single member was a participant, and that's part of why they made such a huge impact. I see something else, though. I see that they realized that small things matter. They realized that small things matter. They realized that small things were just as important and influential and significant as even the seemingly big things. They realized serving tables is just as important a task as preaching sermons. In fact, you can't do the big things without the little things. The devil's in the details, as they say, right? We can have the greatest worship in the whole entire country. And by the way, I watch other churches online. Can I say that? I think I can. And I think we do have one of the best worship teams in the entire country. Yeah, you can clap for that. We can have the best sermons in the whole country. We're not there yet. I know you don't have to give me that face, but we can have all that amazing stuff. The best night to shine event, the best middle school event, the best high school event, the best kid city event. But if the cars can't get parked, if visitors don't know where our bathrooms are, right? None of that matters. I would even go so far as to say it's the little things that have a greater impact on us than the bigger things. Like if you have a kid that's in Kid City at one of our physical campuses, when they get in the car, ask them what their small group leader is and what they talked about, and I guarantee you they'll probably remember it. Or if you're in a small group right now, in an adult small group, and I asked you a question, uh, could you tell me what the last conversation you had as a group was about? Probably you can answer that. Do you know the name of your small group leader? Yeah, you do. I even know the name of my uh, daughter's small group leader, Jory, at the Apex campus. Now let me ask you a different question. Off the top of your head, what did I preach about four weeks ago? Crickets, you don't know. I don't know either. I don't know what I preached about. I didn't preach last week. Two weeks ago, I have no idea. No one does. Because it's the small things that impact us the most. See, a new family could come to our church and hear the best music and really just hear from God and his spirit and hear from God's word in the sermon time and just have the best time. And they could get back in their car and they could turn around and just ask their 10-year-old, hey, did you have fun? And all their 10-year-old would have to say was, eh, it was okay. I didn't really feel seen. A lot of kids, not a lot of leaders. And you think they're gonna come back? No, they're not gonna come back. But when we get the small things right, we have an almost three-year-old little foster daughter, and I can't introduce you to her or tell you her name legally, but maybe one day I can. Um, but when she came to us about a year and a half ago, um, she had never been to church. Um, but she slowly learned that when daddy's home, because I'm not home during the week, but I'm home during the weekend. So when daddy comes and wakes me up, we're getting close to church time. And so just the past probably six or seven months, every single Saturday morning, I walk into her room and she pokes her head up and says, hey, daddy, say, she says, daddy, church. I said, no, it's not church yet. Church is tomorrow. And she said, I want to go to church. I was like, I know you do. She's like, I want to see CJ. That's her leader. So I want to learn about Jesus. She says, Jesus is like Santa Claus, but all the time. I don't know if that's what we teach him or she just picked that up. But, <laughs> but see, she doesn't know that I preach. She doesn't follow us on social media, but she knows CJ. And she knows that she is loved in her little three-year-old class at Apex. And that's powerful. But we can't demonstrate that sort of gospel love and attention if we have to close classes or if kids are distracted because the sound's not working or if there's too many kids in a small group to really have a good conversation because we don't have enough leaders or because we're short on activities, coloring activities, because no one made the copies. See, one of the areas, often the areas of greatest need are the small things. 
They're the overlooked things. And Stephen has this amazing attitude of, hey, apostles, I know that I am skilled and I'm talented in all these areas. In the next few chapters, we see his talents rise to the surface. He gives an amazing sermon, the longest sermon that we have recorded in the book of Acts. And tons of people come to know Jesus because of that. He's a gifted communicator, a gifted evangelist. And he knows that, but he says, but that doesn't matter right now because there is a need and someone needs to meet it. And he was so bought into the mission that he said, hey, where is the area of greatest need? I don't care if it's small. In fact, I realize how important the small things are. Apostles, how can I take something off your plate? I don't care what it is. I just wanna help move the mission forward. And that's the attitude that we all need to have. Where is the area of greatest need? I don't care if it's match my giftings. Let me meet that need. And as I serve there, I will pray that one day, God will move me into an area that I can use my giftings and use my talents, but until then, I'm not gonna let that stop me from getting involved. I wanna get on the field. It's this mentality of go where you are needed and then God will move you where he wants you. And the members of the church recognized just the importance of small things and they stepped up and they were faithful to meet those needs. In fact, I think that their faithfulness in the small things I think that's why the word of God spread like crazy. I don't think God swooped in and just blessed their socks off because the apostles were freed up to preach better sermons. I don't think that has much to do with it. I think it's because they were faithful in the small things. God entrusted them with bigger things. And we see this theme all throughout the New Testament. Jesus told a few parables on that where one of the parables, the servant is faithful over a very, very little, small amount of money. And at the end of the parable, the master turns to the servant and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. See, here's what I think. I think that this whole widow crisis, I think that was a test that God gave the early church. And some people say God doesn't test people. Oh, he does. He doesn't tempt people but he definitely tests people all the time to kind of see what's in our heart, to reveal what's there, not to get angry at us, but to reveal it so we can work on it. And I think God just, just wanted to test this church at 10,000 members. Just said, hey, early church, there's 30,000 more people in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is just the starting point for this whole church thing. And every single one of those people that have not yet responded to the gospel, they don't just need to hear it, they need to experience it as well. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you a handful of overlooked, marginalized widows in this community that's really ignored, that hardly anyone notices, but I do. And no one in Jerusalem, honestly, will really notice or even care if you overlook them. But I'll notice, and I'll care. And here's the deal, if you are faithful, and loving and caring for this little handful of vulnerable and ignored people, then listen, then I'll know. Then I'll know I can trust you. And then I'll bring you more. But I need to see your obedience first. I need to see that I can trust you with more people, eternal souls that are precious in my sight. See, it was a test and they passed. And what was the result? God said, okay. I can trust you with these widows. I'm going to bring you more. I'm going to bring you more. More people that would be able to not just hear the gospel, but experience it as well.
And that's kind of how I see every single Serve Connect season, as just a little test from God, kind of built into our yearly rhythm. And you may not know this, maybe you're new, but I hope by God's grace, we've always kind of been in a position of the early church. We've experienced pretty explosive growth over the past 25, 27 years. And I wish I could tell you the whole story. We started off in um, a clubhouse of an apartment building. We moved to a smaller building in Cary. We called it the fire trap. Uh, we moved to a gym. Um, then we moved to one campus. Then we grew to two campuses, three campuses. Now we're at four campuses with 10,000 plus people and online with 10,000 more. And uh, just so you know, I think that growth had nothing to do with the amazing sermons, although they were amazing. Didn't have a whole lot to do with the worship, although it was, it was because of the heart of our people has always been, God, you bring us people and we promise we will do our best to love them exactly where they're at. And God's been faithful. And we're still growing. You may not realize that. In fact, we're growing in a weird way and almost weirdly more than ever before because we're kind of rebuilding. We're relaunching after all this COVID stuff. And listen, there's some really cool things that God is leading us towards, like some really big projects and stuff that, man, just are going to have a huge impact in our city and in our world. And the leadership's going to share some of those things in the coming weeks. We've been a little tight-lipped about it. But before we get there, I just think that God's once again kind of testing us, kind of probing us, testing us here. Are you still the same Hope Community Church that love people? Are you still the same church that you were before COVID? Seeing if we still have the same hearts as the crowd slowly begin to rebuild, testing to see, are you going to take on the role of a servant? Are you going to see the small things as meaningful things? Hope, are you going to be faithful with a little? so that I can trust you with a lot. But in order to be faithful, in order to pass the test, we need your help. So this is the last week of this whole Serve Connect thing. We're gonna do things a little bit differently. Um, so I'm gonna pray in just a few minutes, and then there's not gonna be a host. There's gonna be an online host, but there's not gonna be a campus host at any of our campuses. We're just gonna dismiss you because I wanna talk to three audiences real quick. Um, if you are not volunteering yet, you haven't found a space to serve, uh, we have a volunteer kind of ministry fair of sorts across all of our campuses. They're at different spots as you leave the auditorium. Uh, just look for first impressions in their green shirts. They will point you exactly to where it is. And they're representatives from every single ministry. And I would just encourage you, go to two, go to three, go to four. But don't hesitate, ask questions, and then jump in. And we'll sign you up for a first look. Uh, we'll train you, and we'll move you if it's not a good fit. So if you're not volunteering yet, go to that ministry there. Kind of go to one or two tables. Just go wherever the line's the shortest. Sign up, and I want you to commit. I want you to get off the bench, and I want you to get onto the field. The second group I want to talk to, just reiterate what Aaron said last week. We have lots of new people that come every single week. Maybe you're watching for the first time online. That happened last weekend. I heard of three or four brand new families, their first time in church or their first time in a long time. And maybe right now you have lots of questions. Maybe questions about God. Who is God? What's his character like? Who is Jesus? What's this Bible thing? Uh, maybe questions like, is this the right church for me? Is this somewhere that we could be plugged in? Is this somewhere that we could fit? And I would encourage you as well to check out the ministry fair. Um, you know, I love how Aaron pointed out that Moses didn't know God really well before he joined him on his mission. And I think there's no better way to get those questions answered. Those questions of who is God? What are his people like? Is this a good place for me? Than just to take a step and to kind of join him in his mission. Now, if you don't believe in the Bible, we're not going to make you teach a Bible study, right? That's a deal. I promise you that. But there's lots of other places that you can serve. And then lastly, the third group I want to talk to is those of you 
who are already serving. And you're like, I thought I got a pass on this whole series. Like, check the box. I'll see you guys in March. No, you're not off the hook. What I want us to do this week is I want us to reenact Acts chapter 6. It's where the pastors, the leaders got on the stage and said, hey, here is the area of greatest need. Here's the biggest demand that we have. Now, church members, you guys go and find people. Find people that are filled with the spirit, that are godly, that are mature, that you think would do a good job serving. Then you bring them to us and we'll train them up. So here's what I want to ask you to do. If you've been serving maybe just for the past few weeks, maybe for the past few years or the past few decades, I want you to think right now and later in this week of one person that's not serving. Maybe they attend here, maybe they don't. But I want you to think of one person that's just mature, that's solid, that's steady. You just like their character. And I want you to personally invite them to serve with you the next time you serve. Maybe it's an every, every other week opportunity. Maybe it's a once a month opportunity. But just send them a text. Say, hey, this is weird. I think you're dope. I think you would be great at uh, serving. And so I just want to put the, the offer out there. I'll take you to McDonald's or wherever before. And we can grab lunch afterwards. But I think you'd be awesome. And I think that volunteering would be a really cool thing to add to your life. You guys good with that? So if you're not serving, if you're brand new, head out to the ministry fair. If you're already serving, I want you to invite one person to serve alongside of you next so that we can be faithful, so that we can be faithful with the little that we have at this moment so that God will entrust us with a lot. So let me pray and then you guys will be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's given in love and that it's true. Thank you that you just give us all these amazing stories, these play-by-plays of how you've, you've, you've constructed and designed your church to work. So right now, Father, I pray that you just move in people's hearts. Would you just give them a vision for all the amazing ways that God could use someone like them to influence people and to really change the world? So, Father, I pray that you would just move right now. Would you be with us? Would you create a movement of servant-hearted members that are joining you, that are, that are on the field of your mission? And we can't wait to see what you do, not for the name of hope, but for your name and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.